I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. Now, one of the things that I find I like is when I talk about justice issues, and when I talk about topics, topical things going on, we can see that there's a mix between justice and injustice in many areas. So I like to go through the day's event, kind of like uh, social studies with Lieutenant Joe. So there's some things we can look at here this afternoon. But first, I, I do want to remember to thank everybody that's out there and uh, being a part of the Chasing Justice family, joining us here every weekday at 3 o'clock. It's uh, fantastic to be here. You can also catch us on the podcast if you missed the show. Right, so I thought I saw something hopeful. I, I don't know if it's hopeful or not hopeful, but it seems hopeful, where the other day the Ukrainian army uh, discovered that there was a shipment of cruise missiles, very accurate, deadly cruise missiles uh, coming through Crimea, and they were being set up for the Russian army so that they could use them against the Ukrainians. They saw them, and using a drone... They wiped them out. They destroyed the cruise missiles. Very, very expensive. What's important here is that, number one, they knocked out a serious weapon that could have, uh, you know, hit, hit more hospitals, uh, baby, baby hospitals, apartment buildings, children's schools, you know, the places that the Russians have been attacking. Uh, so you take those weapons out of play. That's a good thing. Number two, they're very expensive, and the Russians are having a hard time. They're running low on munitions. That's why they're hanging out with the Chinese now, trying to get uh, Xi Jinping to provide them with uh, military weapons. I thought it was very interesting. The statistics were coming out the other day. When you, when we hear about this on the news, it's, it, it runs, you know, we hear stories here and there. And, and, and since it started up a year ago, when it was on the news every minute, every day, now we get updates once in a while when something happens, like uh, destroying a bunch of cruise missiles or the Russian... Uh, premier meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin, talking about how they can work together to continue to do evil in the world. Uh, but the reality here is that this was a, this was a big deal uh, to, to see them and knock them out. Imagine if they had fighter jets, what the Ukrainians could do. And I'm not, I'm not pushing for war. I'm trying to find the balance between, we hear all these experts uh, saying, first of all, it's, it's a terrible thing happening to the Ukrainians, and it is. But is this America's problem? Should we be spending billions and billions of dollars to fight a proxy war against the Russians? And that's what this is. This is a proxy war. You know, we're supplying weapons and some of our Western allies are supplying things to fight Putin. And maybe that's not something we need to be involved in. But do the lessons of history teach us anything when we have someone like Putin who is obviously now in a no-holds-bar expansionist mode, something we knew he would have been uh, if, he, if he felt that the time was right. And we know that because uh, of the weakness of President Biden, uh, obviously he now feels that the time is right. And that's why he is acting. And that's where we're concerned that the Chinese might act uh, and go after Taiwan because they sense this weakness in, in Joe Biden. So I wanted to, to mention that and say I'm trying to struggle with this. The one side says... You know, it's really not for us to be involved, as terrible as it is to watch. And number two, possibly look at it. What, what if history 
You know, what if we had gotten involved earlier in World War II? Would we have prevented millions of deaths? Would we have prevent, prevented the, the enormity of World War II? Uh, as opposed to sitting back and waiting for the, you know, the Nazis at the time to build up, uh, build up their supply lines, build up their strategies and start winning, you know, and then, then you can't really stop that juggernaut. So the question for us in our modern world, is Ukraine a precursor for the Third World War? Only this time, everybody that's involved just about is going to have nuclear weapons. You know, a nuclear weapon ended World War II because of its unbelievable power. But is this something that this war may, you may see a tactical nuke on a battlefield. You may see bigger exchange of nuclear weapons. You may see the chaos that's involved with a skirmish uh, there uh, that could lead into, you know, the use of United States weaponry, drones as the United States, not as giving them to someone else, giving them to Ukraine to use, but as America's actual involvement in this, you could see that moment. Uh, do we have the military? We don't. Do we have the equipment? We don't. Do we have the Navy? We don't. You know, this might be a moment where our adversaries get together and decide to act all over the globe in too many places for us to handle. And again, this is, this is the problem with weakness. This is the problem with your enemies not fearing you. I mentioned that in another episode, right? I said, what's, what's it better to be loved or to be feared? And it is much better to be feared because then people don't do anything when they're afraid of you. Uh, and they love you, they'll screw you over. Uh, so this is where I'm trying to, I'm going back and forth. I see both sides of this argument. And if I was promoted to president, you know how we do here once in a while, promote Lieutenant Joe to president, what would I do? Where would I come down on it? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to say that I would uh, engage us in a war like that. But at the same time, I think our leaders have to think clearly and we need a clear thinking leader as opposed to unfortunately addled President Biden and his, uh, his cronies that don't seem to be much better than him with policy understanding and the understanding of the world. Is it what should we be considering? What, what are the signs? What, you know, intelligence, our intelligence agencies are all compromised. Uh, we don't know if they're telling us the truth or if somebody's got millions of dollars involved in saying something or going after someone or some nonsense. So I just want to bring that up because that is in the news, right? We know that the Russians uh, took down an American drone uh, over international waters. You, you see how these things can happen and they can spill into bigger things. We need to be prepared mentally and physically with our plan. What are we going to do? Are we going to, if we're going to stay in and we're going to help, then we should help them win and knock this back and be done with it, right? Help the Ukrainians knock out the troops that are there so that the Russians back out, then offer a peace talk so Putin can have safe face or whatever and get the hell out of there. Or do we allow this to grow to the next level where now uh, Western Europe is in danger again? And at that point, we're going to have to go, right? Because eventually we'll be in danger. So the statistics that came out that I started to say, you think it's just, you know, this stuff we hear on the news once in a while. Apparently, the Russians have lost about 165,000 soldiers. 165,000 soldiers. That's, that's a lot of people they've sacrificed in the, in the, um, the meat grinder of this war. Uh, they've lost 3,500 tanks. 3,500 tanks. That's a lot of tanks to lose. Uh, they've lost aircraft, uh, and now they lost cruise missiles. So the, the Ukrainians are doing a, a pretty good job against Russia, a superpower, uh, with limited equipment. So all of us need to think about that, and then we need to make our voices heard and tell our representatives what we think they should do. Either get out or, or get in 
one way or the other, but to just let it linger and let our enemies build, 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 build is not wise. It is not a smart move to watch uh, the bully start to gather up his weapons while they're telling you, oh, don't worry, no big deal, until they come after you then, right? All right, let's turn our attention to the state of Florida, okay? A place that I would love to go. I love Florida. I like visiting there. I had a great trip uh, to Miami a year ago in February. The weather was beautiful every single day, 65 to 85, every single day in February. The ocean waters were nice and warm and azure blue, absolutely beautiful. The city was very nice. We had a great time. They're having a little difficulty this year with spring breakers who are losing their minds and, and really getting out of control. But besides that, uh, my point about Florida is, and this is a funny thing I saw one time. If you go to a computer and you Google Florida man, that's it, Florida man, you will be shocked at the things that come up. You know, Florida man makes love to alligator. Florida man climbs down chimney and gets stuck. Florida man, unbelievable, these news stories that involve, you know, people from Florida. Well, along the justice line, uh, we just saw a, an incident in Gainesville, Florida, where apparently a young lady and her ex were having a very, very difficult time. Uh, a lot of domestic violence going on. Apparently the guy was violent and that's why he was the ex, right? Connect the dots. Well, apparently he goes over to the apartment where the girl lives and he assaulted her, assaulted her pretty bad. And then he left. Well, she calls her father and tells her dad, hey, dad, I just got assaulted by this guy. Dad, who's a carry permit person, a concealed carry person, he goes over to comfort his daughter, help her out, see what he can do. And while he's there, apparently this guy comes back and gets back in the house and is going to assault this girl again. And the father shot him. The guy stumbled away to his car where he died. Uh, now, what's amazing about a thing like that is that if that happened in New York or New Jersey, up in up in the Northeast, the father would have been placed under arrest immediately, regardless of the reason uh, of what happened. You know, that would be the first first move uh, the prosecutors would push, not necessarily law enforcement, but the prosecutors would demand you know, lock this guy up. Uh, he shot somebody down in Florida. They go, whoa, 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 hang on a second here. Uh, yeah, he shot somebody, but was there a good reason? to shoot this guy. Well, I can tell you, if my daughter called me and said her ex was at the house and had beaten her up and I was there and I had possession of a weapon and he came in to try and hurt her and hurt me again and I felt that my life or her life was in danger, I might use deadly force. I mean, that's the purpose of deadly force, right? If you feel your life is in danger or serious bodily harm can come to you, you're allowed to protect yourself. The difference is in Florida, People actually do it all the time and they don't get in trouble because you're allowed to protect yourself. Where in other parts of the country, not so much. So I thought I'd mention that and tell you, go to a computer at some point, not during this show, of course, but some other time and Google Florida man. Just put that in and you see what comes up. Untold numbers of stories. Uh, some are interesting. Some, most are funny. When you see, you know, what people did, they do these crazy things down in the beautiful sunshine state. All right. Um, when we look and see uh, on the news, right, you watch all the, and I guess maybe everybody's seen the, the viral video of the meteorologist. I think she was from, uh, from California, Los Angeles. Uh, nice woman. She, I think she's sitting at the desk and she's talking, talking about the weather, you know, whatever it is that's going on. And you could just see she kind of leans forward 
like she's looking at her hands, and then all of a sudden her head bangs off the desk and down she goes. She falls backwards out of the chair. She was completely unconscious, and it looked absolutely horrible. It looked like she died, you know, right on camera. And actually, as it turns out, she said um, she was dehydrated. And there's a condition that goes along with that, but she was dehydrated, and that's what led her to pass out and faint. It's a very common thing when you're dehydrated to... Uh, to, to pass out and faint. And that's what happened to her. She passed out and fainted right on live TV. And you can watch it. Uh, again, just, you know, Google something. Uh, weather woman passes out in L.A. And you'll see the video. It's, it's kind of shocking. We don't usually see those kind of things. What I thought was weird, though, and I, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, throwing any shade at anybody, but there was two other anchor people who were on. And you see this woman fall and disappear off the thing like she passed out. And they're kind of looking at each other like, oh, instead of jumping up and going over to help their colleague, um, it just looked strange. Because I'm sure there were technicians around. There were other people who ran to the woman's aid. Uh, not that the anchors have to get out of their desk and run over. But if these are your friends, right? And that's, you know, it's one of my friends, my coworker. But I'm going to jump up and see if I can help. It just looked strange. But you might want to, uh, you might want to see that. All right. So we're going to stay in, in Los Angeles for the next, uh, the next little story. Now, if any of you have followed pop culture, you know, and, and I follow pop culture to the point that I, I like to know what's going on in the world. You know, I don't, I don't follow Prince Harry and, and, and Meghan Markle and, and I don't follow the royal family. I don't follow movie stars and worry, you know, wonder about what they're doing every day. I don't watch the, the movie star shows. I like a good movie, but I'm not, a, uh, I'm not one of these people that, you know, looks at popular culture. For, oh, that's the greatest thing. In the world. I have to stay up on it. Uh, but I do stay aware of trends in the world uh, and what's going on. Okay, so enough said. I think I've covered my point there. So here we are in L.A. And remember, for the longest time, uh, one of the biggest singing stars out there was former Disney star uh, Britney Spears. And uh, Britney had, uh, you know, I guess she had some kind of a breakdown at some point. Uh, a lot of stresses she was under, a lot of family problems, I guess, is what they attributed to. She shaved her head one time. I mean, she was a tremendously talented young woman, beautiful girl, um, made tons and tons of money and had this mental problem where she, she melted down and her, her whole life was put into a, like a conservatorship um, where I believe her father was in charge of her conservatorship. So he controlled all her money, controlled everything she did. And just recently she got that conservatorship removed. Now she's 30 something, right? And she finally got that removed. But we just had another former uh, young star, and I think she might have been a Disney star, I'm not sure, but Amanda Bynes was just found at 6.45 in the morning on a Los Angeles street corner, uh, standing there naked, stark naked. And the, as the police reported it, she exhibited some signs of mental illness, and she said some things that concerned them, and they took her to a 72-hour uh, psychiatric hold to check her out and see what's going on. Why is she, why is she doing this? Now, in our modern world, standing naked on a street corner uh, might be perfectly acceptable from anybody. That's her expression. It just it didn't seem right. And apparently, who knows what she said? Maybe she said some suicidal things. Uh, maybe she just wasn't making any sense and they took her to get help. Uh, and that, that suicidal thing is, um, is usually the trigger when somebody says something that's that awkward. They just they seem to be a danger to themselves or to others. That's when we get them out of there and uh, we get them to the hospital. And the seventy-two hour hold. The reason they do that is because if I just examined you for fifteen minutes, 
um, I might make a, a, a poor or rash diagnosis that you're okay or that you're not okay. So they hold you for 72 hours so that they can see, are you intoxicated? Were you having a momentary meltdown? Or do you have a bigger problem, bigger mental health issue that has to be addressed that maybe you're not safe to yourself or others to go back out? 72 hours is, uh, is a long time to be, uh, to be confined like that. But for many people, it can be a lifesaver. Uh, we find out that they have uh, some kind of an issue. Maybe they're off medication. Maybe they need medication. Maybe they're suicidal, whatever. Uh, and we, we can hold them and, and then give them the mental health that they need. This is a topic that probably uh, we need to address more as a nation, mental health. Uh, we don't. We don't talk about it, right? It's taboo still to talk about mental health. But when I talk to uh, school people, police officers, when I go out and I train on, on violent incidents, uh, we, when we talk about active shooter incidents, in most cases... The person has an, a diagnosed or an undiagnosed mental condition of some kind lurking in their, uh, in their lives. And we find this out afterwards. Uh, doesn't mean every shooter has a mental illness, but most of them have had some kind of mental, mental problem where they either lost it or on a long term or on a short term. And we don't talk about mental illness. You know, we don't, we don't discuss it. It's, it's still taboo because, you know, people don't come forward and go, hey, my, my son's kind of acting really weird and I think he's having a Because then he has to go to treatment and he has to maybe be restricted or he may take medication and people don't want to take the Whatever it is, we don't do it enough. We don't talk about it enough. Uh, and mental illness is real. Uh, I tell you, you watch some of these uh, Charlie Kirk videos or you watch some of these other viewpoint videos and you watch these people talking to our, our friends on the left and they're absolutely losing their minds. I mean, they're going crazy over these things instead of having a conversation. So you say to yourself, wow, it seems like uh, more mental illness out there than, than ever. I mean, I guess some people could say, Lieutenant Joe, you sound like you're nuts too. Um, and I suppose at times I can sound that way if I get myself on a tangent. But that, I just want to bring that up. This, there was a, a, this young girl, Amanda Bynes, standing on a street corner, stark naked at 6.45 in the morning. And I hope she, you know, hope she gets the help she needs. And, and who knows? I guess we'll hear more about it as time goes by. Uh, you know, does she have a, a bigger problem? Uh, does she need help? Or maybe she had family who didn't help her. I don't know. I don't know what the case could be. But I hope she gets the help she needs. And I hope everybody out there that has a, a mental health issue can get the help they need. Now, for me, uh, on the justice side, when I look at this, I say the number one killer for law enforcement uh, is suicide for our law enforcement officers. Suicide is the, the number one thing that takes cops out, either when they're active duty or even into their retirement. And again, it, it goes down the, the mental health line, depression, sadness, um, thoughts of suicide, feelings of suicide. And I, I wondered about it. You know, if you, if you Google um, a tragic toll of police work uh, by Joseph Pangaro, you will see an article I wrote for the FBI. It's got to be 15 years ago now, maybe 12, 15 years ago, uh, the tragic toll of police work. Um, you'll see this article I wrote, and, and I wrote it uh, because I started to see some law enforcement officers that I knew personally kill themselves. And that was, that was just a, uh, an abstract thought to me. I would never think to kill myself. Uh, but I, I know that it, these people that I, I knew and that I trusted that were decent people, they chose that as their as their, as their choice of how to handle their problem. 
And when I see that over and over again, our military personnel also, we see this, right? What do they say? 22 military people a day, either active duty or uh, retired people kill themselves. 22 people a day. That seems like an astronomical number of people. But when you think of the millions of people, I guess, that served over the course of, of a lifetime, you can understand that. Since the COVID pandemic, um, suicide is up. Suicide is up uh, among teenagers. Suicide is among, up among adults. And I don't know if you've seen all the, the hubbub and all the stories recently about teenage girls that are uh, feeling suicidal or have thought about killing themselves and, and are depressed and are down. And it's a combination of, of several things. I think the pandemic has really, even though we're, we're easing out of it now, we're coming out of it, I think those two years of fear, how many people do you see driving around in a car today by themselves, today, still wearing a mask? And you look at them and say, what are you doing? You're in a car, first of all, by yourself, and you're wearing a mask. Um, well, that person has to be deeply affected by what went on during the pandemic, you know, the fear and the, uh, you know, the, you're killing people if you're not wearing a mask, you're gonna, you're killing me, but you're not wearing a mask. And, and as we know now, well, we knew then too, if anybody actually had researched it and actually did stories about it, that the masks really don't help very much. Uh, the masks weren't preventing anything from taking place, but we were all conforming because we were told that was going to save people. And you know, so what did you do? You did it, you don't want to kill nobody and you didn't want to get it and have it kill you. But I think coming out of this, we can look back now uh, and hopefully learn a lot of lessons, but the PTSD that the entire world is suffering and the entire world is suffering a PTSD after the pandemic to one degree or another uh, because of the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the fear and the reality that, you know, 7 million people worldwide, a million in America died from this horrible disease. Now, let, let's let's agree to disagree on on all of it i mean did people die needlessly now can we look back at that and say uh well if we had treated the symptoms uh there's lots of doctors who are not crazy who are not conspiracy theorists who are not nuts who were saying we there's treatments for for this covid we can do things to help people besides get a booster that doesn't work get a shot that doesn't work get seven boosters that doesn't work Right? There were medicines that you could take. I've told you in the past, uh, Kathleen and I had COVID twice. Uh, we had medication on hand that we got from legitimate doctors who said, if you test positive, immediately take these drugs. And we did, and our COVID lasted a day, a day and a half, and that was it. Now, granted, by the time we got it, uh, it was down the chain a little. It, it had changed from the original. The original one was virulent and had a fresh population to attack. Uh, but I still think those medications probably would have worked because the doctors that I've heard talk about it are not uh, raving lunatics who just want to take, just take pills. Um, they did research. They understood what this was, and they thought it would help. So we can rehash that argument all we want. But the reality is uh, this whole pandemic has caused um, an unbelievable amount of uh, PTSD among lots of people, including our young people. This... Uh, PTSD has been evidenced in, in many, many different ways. And uh, you know, we all know the story. I write for Campus Safety Magazine and back in 2020, um, which we've just reached the anniversary recently, the three years ago locking down, uh, I had written a, an article for them that basically said, uh, if we shut down for six weeks, which we initially thought we might do, 
that when we come out of that six weeks, there are going to be people who are uh, going to be affected by this lockdown in ways that we, we can't calculate, that we know the number one uh, reason for the one, one, number one trait we see in our shooters as adults or as children is that they feel disconnected from their school, disconnected from their business. They don't feel a part of. And I knew that after being shut down for six or seven or eight weeks, that that was going to be tough. So I wrote that article. Uh, are we prepared when we come out of this? And of course, we weren't shut down for eight weeks. We were shut down for almost two years. So the danger, the danger was real. Um, and it's something that has proved itself out, obviously, um, several times. So that was... Um, the mental health issue is really is really what I'm talking about. You know, these young girls wanting to hurt themselves, our officers and our military people killing themselves. And what are we doing about it? Are we doing anything about it? No. You know, one of the things I saw, and again, uh, our opening here today, our first part of the show, is we want to talk about uh, things going on in the news, things in the world, social studies with Lieutenant Joe. And some of the topics are, are more lighthearted than others. But this, this one is, is very serious. Um, you know, the, these people suffering. And we need, as a people, we need to figure out what are we going to do about this? How are we going to help people who, who need um, the help? So, I don't know, I guess we tell our politicians we want to do the right things. Tell our schools to do the right thing. And if you're a parent, uh, don't be afraid. Get help for your kid. You know, there's lots of help out there that people can have. Uh, I lost a very good friend of mine as a law enforcement officer, not during his active duty years, but after he retired. Um, several years after he retired, he moved to the beautiful state of Florida and had a wonderful life going on, became a real estate agent, boat, pool, everything, but got depressed. Uh, and when you read that article, The Tragic Toll of Police Work, I think that will shed some light for you on why I think this happens. Um, officers see horrible, horrible, ugly things their entire career. Our military people suffer under stress the same kind of a way. Uh, and, and we laugh it off. We joke it off. We have gallows humor to survive it, and it doesn't really help us. So that's, uh, that's one of the things we need to consider as a people. You know, how are we exactly are we going to uh, maybe turn this trend around? Because it speaks about our society when you're, when you're centurions, your police, your military, your first responders uh, are taking themselves out. There's got to be a reason, and it's it's not a good one, and we need to fix it. So recently, I just spoke to a, a young woman uh, from the Alzheimer's Association. That's another area. You know that? Our special needs population, our Alzheimer's patients, uh, more and more is being done. But as our population ages, and we have the end of the baby boomers, you know, creeping along here. Uh, I'm a baby boomer. I'm one of the last ones. I think they were up to 1964. Babies born from 46 to 64 are the baby boomers. You know, we're starting to age out, you know, uh, 20 years, 25 years, we're not gonna be here. You know, it's gonna be all gone, it'll be the next generations. And we're starting to see Alzheimer's uh, is a real problem for lots of people, we don't understand it. Kids on the spectrum, people still don't understand what that is and, and how to help uh, those kids and those families to, to do better. So I want you to think about that. When we come back, we're gonna talk about zombies in the real world. That's right, zombies in the real world. Uh, drugs, drug-related zombies uh, that we are, are, it's unbelievable to think this is going on. And it matches kind of some things that was gone, going on 20 years ago with a different kind of drug. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute when we come back. So thanks for being here. I hope you get something to think about here. And when we come back, we'll deal with some zombies. This is Lieutenant Joe.
You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Outloud Truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Outloud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe, and now we're going to talk about zombies. And I'm going to mix some popular culture here with some things that are going on for real. So any of you out there who ever watched the show The Walking Dead, have you, have you seen that? Um, I was a big fan of it. Me and my family, we watched it from, from the first year it came out. Uh, we watched it as a family probably through... I think there was 11 years of the show. We probably watched it as a family through season five. At season five, it got a little dark, a little too dark for Miss Kathy, a little too dark for Miss Marisa, my daughter. She didn't care for it when it got, it got really, really dark. Actually, you know, Jack kind of bailed out too. Um, but up until, up until then, it was, it was an awesome show because it was, it was new to television uh, the, the scenes that you saw, but it, it wasn't about zombies. And that's how I got Kathleen to watch it. And she hears me talking, me and Marisa watching this zombie movie, and she didn't want to see this thing. Who cares about zombies? Uh, but I told her, I said, really, the show is not about zombies. The zombies are in the background. The zombies move the action forward. It's really about human beings and how they interact with each other, how they get along, what happens when you remove authority, what happens when... Um, people are on their own to make decisions. Will they be good? Or will they be bad? And of course, anybody that followed the show knows that uh, that's exactly what you had. You had a cast of characters and uh, they had to deal with other people in the middle of being attacked by zombies, which is the thing, like I said, that moved the story along. Uh, what was interesting about it is to look at these zombies and where, how did they become zombified? 
You know, that was the thing. It shows you there were several shows in the series. There was The Walking Dead. And then there was another show that came out, a spinoff called Fear the Walking Dead. And they had different timelines. And what I thought, and believe me, hang on, hang in there. You're going to see where I bring this all together. Uh, there was different timelines. So Fear the Walking Dead came second, like three years after the original Walking Dead show. Uh, but it started at a timeline before The Walking Dead began. So we kind of saw where... Uh, the zombies came from, and apparently they came from a part of California, I think it was Los Angeles, where the first zombie girl uh, was biting somebody, and then it spread like wildfire and went across the United States, then across the world, kind of like COVID did. Uh, so we just lived through what a real pandemic with a disease would look like as it moves from one person to another, uh, and then as it goes from there. So those of you who, who are fans of the show know that at, at one point they ended up at the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in uh, Atlanta, where they thought they'd find refuge. And instead they found a doctor there, Dr. Jenner. Um, and the world had already fallen apart. I mean, military, most of the world was dead. The rest of the world turned into flesh-eating zombies. You know, if you didn't die from this disease uh, outright, um, you, you, can't, you did die from the disease, but then you came back. Uh, as this uh, chomping, eating machine, basically. Uh, nothing could stop you and, unless they hit you in the head, kill the brain, right? That's just like the, all the zombie movies. So when they were in the CDC, this guy Jenner, Dr. Jenner, basically says, tells one of the main characters, we don't find out uh, during the show, but we find out from the show Runner, the guy who wrote the show, that actually what he was saying is that it's an alien thing. It came, it's an alien disease. It came from... Uh, outer space, uh, whether it came on a moon rock or whether it came from a meteor, whatever the germ was that spread across the country, across the world, basically, and wiped the world out, was, uh, was, was alien. But the point is, when you saw in the show, you saw how it moved from person to person and it killed people, we just lived through that in the pandemic. You know, one person would have it at a party, and next thing you know, 20 people would have it, and, and people were dying. Now, they weren't coming back as zombies. Well, another interesting thing in the news that has to do with this and zombies, we're going to connect all these zombie things together here for you. There is a new show on that's on, I think it's on HBO. Um, it's called uh, The Last of Us. And again, it's a, uh, it's a zombie apocalypse without using the word zombie because Walking Dead never used the word zombie. And in The Last of Us, uh, they don't call them zombies either, but they are people who are afflicted with a disease and it turns them into uh, these flesh-eating monsters that go around killing people. And once again, the zombies are only the background. It's about the characters and how they interact. But what's interesting about uh, The Last of Us show is that the disease in this show uh, is not like a virus as in The Walking Dead. In this show, it's a fungal infection, some kind of a fungus uh, that infects people and attacks their brain and actually um, takes them over, makes them, kills them, and they come back as um, zombies because this fungus is now functioning to make, get food, just like all zombies have to get food. That's, that's their overriding thing. In this show, The Last of Us, you will actually see people the fungus starts to grow out of parts of their body where maybe they had an injury and now you'll see like mushrooms and stuff growing out of them and it grows on their skin like a fungus you know like um you get you you know you, you spill water and you get that black fungus on the wall right so it, that's the whole idea but the key to this the key and here's here's the come together part i told you bring it all together 
I'm connecting the pandemic that we just lived through with these two TV shows. And now with this, um, this fungus that's killing people, just in the news the other day, I read a story uh, that there is a actual fungal infection that is getting into people's bodies and killing them. And it's growing. And they're very, very concerned about this fungal infection uh, that's growing. And it's real. This is a real thing. So does life imitate art or does art imitate life? That's a question. It's, it's a question that's been around forever. So the, the whole idea is that this fungal infection gets into your blood and to your body and damages your organs and kills you. Just like in the TV show, only people are not coming back uh, as zombies. Which brings me to what I said early on uh, at the, at the at close of the first part of the show that we were going to talk about zombies rotting flesh people and drugs and how this all connects together. Gee, Lieutenant Joe, that was something how you wove this tale of zombies and what's going on in the real world. That's right. And so recently, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, is warning about the use and the popularization of a drug known as Trank, T-R-A-N-Q, T-R-A-N-Q, Trank. And what Trank is, uh, it's a mixture of a drug, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, you know, it's, it's one of them drugs, it's all a mishmash of letters, um, xylazine, xylazine, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, X-Y-L-A-Z-I-N-E, xylazine, um, and fentanyl, right, of course, and fentanyl, right, fentanyl is now in everything. What they're telling us is that uh, in almost every drug, illicit drug, that we're finding now on the streets, from illicit marijuana to uh, things that are supposed to be uh, every other kind of drug. Oxycontin is now actually an opioid mixed with fentanyl. Uh, we're mixing every cocaine with fentanyl. Everything is being mixed with fentanyl. And it's all coming uh, from China, mixed and made in Mexico, and then crossing our border, where it's killing 100,000 or so people a year. But anyway, this drug, uh, Trank, what's interesting about this is that... Um, it's not affected by Narcan or uh, Noxalone. And that's the stuff when you take a heroin or an opiate and you pass out and you're going to die. And they can spray it up your nose or whatever. Uh, people carrying around with them now if they're, they know people that, that are use heroin or whatever. The cops are saving lots of lives. First aid are saving people with Noxalone. The Noxalone doesn't really work because the uh, xylazine is not an opioid. Um, it is a, uh, it's a depressant or a suppressant. A sedative. Sorry, got that wrong. Sedative. It is a sedative, very powerful sedative that comes from where? It is approved for veterinarian use, for veterinarian use. But it is, uh, it's mixed with this fentanyl and people are taking it and they're, they're zombifying. So when you take this stuff, it's a sedative, very powerful, um, and it, it can kind of render you not unconscious, but zombified, where you're just kind of standing around like you're not there, but you're there. It also has a tendency to rot the flesh of people who take it. That's right. The drug gets into you, gets through your system, and it rots people's skin, which is why they're calling it the zombie drug, okay? So we want to think about that. So what's, where have I seen, have I seen this before in law enforcement? 
So all my friends out there who were in law enforcement have been there for a while. We remember the big um, Special K was a drug back. Remember that? Special K was all over the place. That was ketamine. Ketamine was another uh, veterinary drug uh, that was used to sedate animals when they took a uh, when they had a surgery, or sometimes it was used to put them down because it was you know when it was time to put your doggy down, go to the Rainbow Bridge or or your cat, they would use uh, some ketamine, uh, and that would help the 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 animal transition from this life to the next, as they say. Well, ketamine, um, they used to <laughs> used to come across these young people that were using this ketamine because again it was a very potent sedative, and they didn't shoot it up in needles. What they did is they cooked it uh, on, on an oven, uh, like an a, a electric oven in a pan, and they crystallized it, and then they would snort it, and they would call it being in the K-hole. So when you come upon these people, they would either be laying on the ground, or they'd be standing up completely zombified. They didn't run they didn't do anything because they were just fried. They were in the K-hole is what they used to call it because you were so uh, so affected by this drug, so sedate by this drug that you – well, think about it. You put somebody down for surgery, what do they do? They don't run around. They just kind of go out and that's what this ketamine did. And they they were like zombies. So every once in a while we get these these drugs that come along that uh, that people use that have these effects. Well, now this trank is out there. Uh, according to the DEA, it's been found in 48 of the 50 states of the United States of America, which means it's in all 50 states. They just haven't found it in the other two yet. Uh, and it's coming to a young person near you, uh, whether it's a son or daughter, a grandson, granddaughter. Uh, maybe it's a friend of yours. You know, yes, there's lots of people in different ages that take these drugs. But uh, when you hear that name, name, Trank, now you'll know what that is. And it's it's very, very bad. And it does uh, rot your skin. That's why they're calling you uh, calling it a zombie type of a thing. All right. So, uh, continuing on our on our trip down uh, social studies lane here, I did see something for. Uh, it's actually pretty good. It's a good thing for for our Second Amendment rights in the United States. Uh, we know that President Biden is threatening a uh, presidential uh, declaration. He's going to do a uh, an order. That says uh, he's trying to stop semi-automatic guns. He's going to try and stop uh, the possession, the sale, uh, the manufacture of uh, you know these uh, assault weapons. An assault weapon. Well, it's a semi-automatic gun. Every time you pull the trigger, a bullet goes off, just like a revolver. Only you carry more in a magazine, and there's a slide instead of a wheel gun. Um, and yes, they have been used in some some very very bad events. AR-15s, AK-47s. They're very high power rifles. Uh, they do have legitimate uses for, for hunting um, and home protection and other things. Have they been abused by people? Yes. Can they be used to kill a lot of people very quickly? Yes, they can. But when we look at active shooter incidents, which is where we see these things come to light the most because they, they attack. Some people have attacked with them in very uh, horrific ways uh, of our schools, is that there's actually more handguns used in active shooter events. Think of Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, uh, that guy killed 33 innocent people with handguns. He didn't use an AR-15 or an AK-47. He used handguns. So handguns are the number one weapon that's used. Uh, but when the AR-15, the AK-47 are used, uh, it, it's horrific. And Biden wants to shut it down. He wants to shut it down, even though if you actually saw the statistics of how many times 
uh, legal weapons are used by citizens who are not criminals to protect themselves, it's between a half a million and a million times a year, just like uh, our guy in Florida, right? We talked about the dad in Florida who went to help his daughter and used his concealed carry legitimate weapon uh, to thwart an attacker who had already assaulted his daughter, uh, and he, uh, he ventilated that young man uh, and stopped him from hurting anyone else. So these things happen, like I said, half a million to a million times a year, people use weapons to defend themselves and their family. That is a legitimate thing to do. The question is, what do we do about the other incidents where people use them in, a, uh, in an aggressive attacking manner, like in a shooting, active shooter at a school or whatever? Well, there's lots we can do there. You've heard me talk about it. There are things we can do. People that do this don't wake up on a Tuesday and say, I think I'll go kill 20 of my classmates. Um, it's a buildup. Uh, people that attack a workplace, they don't just decide that day to kill people that they work with. They build up to it. And there are, there are manifestations that we can see uh, as someone is building towards such a terrible thing. We can see their mannerisms change. We can see how they, how they dress. They dress differently. Uh, they say things, they write things, they post things on social media. Uh, they do these kind of things that are just uh, absolutely horrific. But we can identify in many instances, not everyone, but in many instances, we can identify these people through their behavior and what they do before they attack, which would give us an opportunity uh, to intervene and maybe save people. But that's taken me kind of off, off base about what happened in California. Uh, a judge there, a federal judge, has ruled that a, a law in California uh, that has pre prevented people there, citizens, honest, hardworking people, from buying more modern kind of guns since 2013. That seems almost impossible, right? Uh, and this law was overturned by this judge saying it is, uh, is unconstitutional and it's inappropriate. So what it does is the law, the law states that the manufacturer of these weapons have to add three specific features, uh, a chamber load indicator. So when there's a, a bullet in the chamber, it has to be able to see that somehow, a little red thing comes up or whatever, however they want you to do it. Um, they want to have uh, something, a magazine, automatic magazine release or, or something along those lines. And it was a third thing. Oh, they have to be able to imprint, I think, the shells so that you can identify, you know, the gun that it came from or something. Today. I'm not positive on that one, but I think that's what it is. Well, the people who, who manufacture weapons say that no gun in the world has those three features. So therefore, what you've effectively done is you've used a law that sounded like it, it made sense. You're trying to do something to prevent violence or you're trying to identify people who use guns inappropriately, when really all you've done is prevented the people from California as the judge said when he overturned the law, was that uh, you're preventing the people from California from getting the most modern, safest weapons. You're forcing them to maintain, use, or buy older style weapons, which are not as potentially not as safe as new, more modern weapons. Right. So the judge overturned it. He did give them, uh, give the state a period of time to appeal his decision to determine whether or not uh, you know he might hear more facts and say, okay, but there's an injunction. Uh, ready to go. And I think I think he's two weeks, he gave a two week period for them to respond. And then if not, that law will be removed, which is a good thing. Uh, innocent civilians should not be prevented uh, from having a firearm for personal protection uh, or for hunting or for any other purpose that they want. It's a constitutional right to keep and bear arms, right? And, and I used to uh, listen to 
uh, Governor Cuomo, or Governor Cuomo, as uh, Uncle Rush used to say, Governor Cuomo, the great state of New York, when he would come out and say, you, you don't need 17 bullets to kill a deer, you know, and it's not about killing a deer. As harsh as it is, uh, as difficult as it is for some people to understand that the reason the Second Amendment is there so that the citizens uh, can be armed uh, is not just for hunting or for home protection, is so that the people could uh, throw off a tyrannical government. Now, the argument in modern times is that, well, really, and even President Biden has said it, well, if you think you're going to fight back the government, you better have F-16s. That is a tyrannical thing to say when you think about it, when you break it down. Um, it basically, the government's telling you, I don't care what your, what your concerns are, what your problems are. If you don't have uh, nuclear weapons and you don't have uh, uh, aircraft carriers and, and, and jet fighters, you're going to do what the government says or we'll overcome you. Right? And that is the exact opposite of what our forefathers intended. Now, granted, when you look at it at the time that they wrote the Constitution, they had no concept of the military power that we would have now. Uh, most battles were fought with cannon, handguns, and, and long arms, rifles that you had to load one round at a time. Right? So for them to think about uh, attacking the government, because we did it. You know, our, our forefathers fought the most powerful uh, nation on the face of the earth. We fought the English Empire and we beat them back, right? We, we, we vanquished them. So I guess in their minds, the concept of all the citizens having a weapon is how you could vanquish another tyrannical uh, government like the English were at the time. Not, uh, not realizing that, you know, the, the amount of technology as it would go and now you would have uh, these massive tanks and gunships and uh, all these weapons that we have today. Does that, though, and this is where the argument has to be peeled back, like the onion. We have to look at things and, and think. We have to think when we're trying to decide these big thoughts. Well, because the weaponry is so different from today, does that mean that the Second Amendment is no longer valid? Is it not valid? Because you don't have F-16s to fight back against your government. You have a semi-automatic rifle. And what do you think you're going to do with that if the government comes after you? Uh, the first thing I think we need to consider there is the, the frightening concept that that is and the answer that President Biden gave. Well, if you think you're going to fight your government, you better have fighter jets. It, it, it seems to me that is... That in and of itself is threatening, right? Doesn't that sound threatening? He's telling you, no matter what the reason that you would think you'd need to fight against your government uh, for your own safety, your protection, to protect your liberties, uh, you can't do it. So why bother? Therefore, you don't need to have the weapons. You don't have to have the weapons because it's futile. Now, I certainly don't espouse fighting against our government. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying think. Open your brain and think for a minute. If the idea is, what if, what if we had um, one of these elections uh, that everyone's concerned about? We don't know what happened. We don't know if thousands of ballots came in the middle of the night. We, we can't keep track of who it was. The laws weren't followed. Uh, and it turns out that we vote in a panel of socialists to the uh, House of Representatives and a majority of socialists in the Senate. And then, okay, so maybe we get a socialist president. They're out there now. These people are out there for real. They've been elected to office. They have socialist policies. 
uh, and if they had their druthers, if they weren't afraid of just all of them calling themselves socialist, uh, they would. So therefore, this is a reality also in our modern world. We could vote in a slate of uh, socialists who could, because uh, they're representatives, they don't do what you tell them to do. They do what they want. They represent you. They could come up with legislation that says we're going to overturn the, the Bill of Rights. We're going to overturn the, uh, the Fifth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Third Amendment, the Twelfth Amendment. We're going to overturn those and they're going to make a law to overturn them. Go to the president who, socialist, would sign it. Uh, go, to the, go through the courts. Of course, there'd be a court battle, but you could appoint socialist judges. And they all decide in one thing that the Constitution has to be changed. Or if you have a Congress and a Senate and a president that decides to open up the Constitution and have an updated Constitution. I mean, the great, the great one, Mark Levin, has talked about it many times, a, 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 a convention of the states. That is part of the Constitution where they realized at some point you may have to change the Constitution, add things, new things happen. And what you would do is get everyone together. The states would all vote to do this. You could open the Constitution. The, and at that point, once it's open, you could remove things. You could add things. You could do lots of things to the Constitution once you open it up. And that's why it's a danger to open it. Uh, because you don't know how it would go. They could say, you know what, First Amendment is good, uh, but, uh, but we're going to change what free speech means. Now we see people trying to do that now, don't we? They're doing that without uh, changing the Constitution. Uh, this whole woke thing, uh, political correctness, canceling people for words they use because we don't like them. We see students attacking speakers that go to universities and go to other places to, to give a point of view, to talk, to discuss to debate, and they are attacked. They are shouted down uh, because their speech is hateful. I mean, how many of these videos do you have to see of these professors actually saying that, well, if you disagree with certain uh, uh, progressive uh, concepts, that's hate speech and, and it's violence. Well, words, words are not violence. Um, I can call for violence with my words, and that's something to be concerned about. But we have laws already in place. You can't scream fire in the movie theater, right? You can't do it. But you're allowed to talk about anything political. Any idea should be heard, and either you reject it or you accept it. But to shout it down and to change what free speech means is to damage all of our freedoms. Because as I've said here many times on our Chasing Justice get-togethers, free speech is the linchpin of every other freedom that we live by. Remove that, and you can dismantle everything. So this is this is a possibility. And what this judge did in California was he struck down that law and he said, no, your California law is not appropriate. It's not um, it's it's not constitutional and you have to change. We've seen this as it gets to the Supreme Court many, many times now. We're seeing that the, the gun laws in a lot of these very restrictive blue states are uh, they're not constitutional. Uh, they were put in place by people who believe that the citizens should not be armed. Uh, you can be armed, but you can't be armed in our city. You can't, you can't protect yourself in our city. And then they turn around and they don't protect their citizens. They defund the police. They call back the police. They don't want the police people. They let criminals out. All of this starts to add up to a society that does not function properly, that is dangerous. Do you want to go to any major American city right now and, and walk around at, at, at 11 o'clock at night? Would you do that? Would you take your family? 
Would you take your children by the hand and go into any of these major cities at 11 o'clock at night? And I don't mean in the, in the very, very wealthy area where the police department uh, are located. I mean in the neighborhoods where people live. Would you do that now? No. Uh, you know, you go down to Baltimore. The Inner Harbor is kind of safe, but you walk two blocks out of the Inner Harbor and you take your life in your hands, just like in many parts of New York City, uh, many parts of Chicago. Chicago, you can get killed for, for kids get killed sitting in their beds uh, at night with all the gunfire. So what this judge did overturning this is actually a good thing uh, as we see uh, the Constitution working in real time. So these are, these are all the things that are kind of going on. This is, you know, Social Studies 101, and I'm glad I got a chance to, to vent some of these things. You know, the zombie drug, be careful that we talked about zombie drugs today. That was, that was pretty crazy. The uh, Florida man, don't forget that. Look up Florida man, Google that. You'll see, you're going to see lots of stuff. Mental health, Ukraine. Uh, whether or not we continue on with a war or not. We covered a lot of things here today. But you know what I didn't tell you about? I didn't tell you about Healthy Cell. That's right, the uh, immune boost. And the reason I'm mentioning it, you can ask Kathy. Um, last week, man, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my head clogged up. Uh, I felt terrible. I thought I was going to get a fever. I thought I was going to die. You know, and I take, took my Healthy Cell in the morning. I took another one at night. I woke up the next day, and I didn't feel so bad. By the end of the day... I was back to normal. And the only thing I can attribute to is Healthy Cell, uh, their product, the Immune Boost. So I'm telling you about that before we end our little get-together here today. All right. So this was, uh, this was a, a, a walkthrough through what's going on in the world, social studies. I, I left out some things here. There's a small town in Arkansas where the chief makes $26,000 and he wants to quit. There's only seven officers. We'll get into that next. Um, but I want to thank you all for being here. It's always fun to get together. Uh, we enjoy our time together in the afternoon. So, hey, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe saying see you down the road.